A few weeks back, if you recall, President Donald Trump tweeted that he and Russian President Vladimir Putin discussed forming, in Trump's words, an impenetrable cybersecurity unit so that election hacking and many other negative things will be guarded. The idea of such cooperation in cyber drew quick criticism from Democrats and Republicans in Congress, and shortly thereafter, Trump backed off from the proposal. Of course, the short-lived idea of a U.S.-Russia cybersecurity unit came as Congress and Special Counsel Robert Mueller investigate Russian cyber meddling in last November's presidential election and any potential ties with the Trump campaign. Trump still continues to question the validity of the accepted notion that Russia hacked into Democratic Party headquarters and used social media to influence the election. Do situations exist in which the U.S. and Russia should engage in some sort of cybersecurity negotiation? Joining me to answer that and other questions are two IT security policymakers. Paul Rosenzweig is senior advisor at the security consultancy, the Chertoff Group, and a former deputy assistant secretary for policy at the Department of Homeland Security. Herbert Lin is a senior research scholar at Stanford University's Center for International Security and Cooperation and the Hank J. Holland Fellow at the Hoover Institution, a think tank also affiliated with Stanford. Last year, Lin served on President Barack Obama's Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi there. Glad to be here. Always a pleasure to be here. I'll start with a general question, then I'll get down to specifics. Under what circumstances should we cooperate with Russia involving cyber? Paul, you can answer first. The model for cooperation with a party that is clearly an adversary to you is basically premised on twofold assumptions. The first is only do so when it is in America's best interest, and we believe that we can achieve something positive for our own country. And the second is never do so when engaging in the discussion would be seen either by your opponent or by other outside observers as a reward for bad behavior or as in disregarding bad behavior. There are things that we could profitably talk with the Russians about just as there are things we can profitably talk with the Chinese about right now in the cyber domain. Doing so at this moment with respect to Russia would be essentially rewarding them for bad behavior. I agree with Paul's first point, but not the second point. I absolutely agree that we should only engage in talks where we have a clear self-interest in it. So that's absolutely right. But I don't think I agree, and I, I, I can be persuaded that I'm wrong about this, but I don't see, see the value of stopping talking with adversaries, even if other people do see it as a, quote, reward, unquote. I've been an advocate of, in, in a variety of contexts about talking to the North Koreans, too. And a lot of people say, no, no, you can't do this because it'll reward them for bad behavior and, 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 and so on. And I think that's essentially cutting off our nose to spite our face. If it's in America's self-interest to do it, we can make a clear case as to how it is, then I think we should be doing it and, 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 and optics be damned about it. As I say, I can be persuaded that I'm wrong about that, and I can even imagine a counter-argument to it, but I'll, leave, I'll let Paul give me the counter-argument. Okay, why don't you try to persuade him, Paul? Well, I mean, I think the counter-argument is that America's self-interest at a meta level is best served by punishing bad behavior at, at some remove and not rewarding it, and that it is, it is absolutely true that there might be something to be gained by talking to the North Koreans or talking to the Russians. I think, however, that systematically, uh, more is lost by validating bad behavior and being perceived as not imposing costs. I 
I agree that there might very well be specific instances in which this general rule should fall by the wayside because of the urgency of the need to talk to somebody to stop North Korea from launching a nuclear missile tomorrow. I would break my rule. It seems clearly not to be the case here with respect to the Russians. And I think that there is a greater value in maintaining the general principle of not rewarding bad behavior. The general thrust of what Paul just said and agree with it, but not the specifics. Bad behavior should be punished. There's no question about that. My and, and, and you do not, you do not as, as Paul said very clearly, that you do not want to be in a situation uh, where you get seen as rewarding bad behavior. That is overall true. But, and I think this is an important but, I'm not talking about rewarding them across the board. I am, I am a fan, for example, of continuing sanctions, of imposing sanctions, of, being, of even being stronger than the pretty weak sanctions that we've undertaken already. We've done some, we should be taking more in a variety of ways. I could even be persuaded under the right circumstances to conduct some other more serious operations to say we mean business at this time. But that doesn't mean that you should stop talking about areas where both sides have something to gain. And what would that be? In my blog post, I put up two uh, possible examples. One of them was just the idea that when they talk about X, I want to make sure that I understand what they mean. And when we talk about Y, I want to, I want to make sure that they understand what we mean. Those are important things to be able to do. For example, the United States has a very clear understanding of what it means by the word deterrence. The Russians sure don't. They see deterrence, at least in some translations, as intimidation, which of course has a very different quality to it. I want to at least make very sure that they understand what we mean. I mean, unless somebody tells me otherwise, I would say that we're not trying to intimidate them. Intimidation is not a stated goal of U.S. foreign policy. Till it is, I want to make sure that you know deterrence, which is a stated goal of U.S. foreign policy, is understood clearly. There are probably a dozen, two dozen, three dozen key concepts. The East-West Report took a stab at it, although if you look at it, the problem there was that they tried to come to agreed understandings of it, that, that those things mean the same. And no, I don't think that's going to work at all. But that you're going to find that there are a dozen, two dozen concepts that each side uses that translate in certain ways. That it doesn't capture the nuance of what the other side means. Understanding those nuances is a good thing to do. Another thing, perhaps more serious, is the possibility that there could be a catalytic conflict. Define that. Right. A catalytic conflict is when some third party says, let's you and him fight. Okay. And so they do something to the United States that makes it look like it comes from Russia. And they do more or less simultaneously something to, to Russia that makes it look like it comes from the United States. Now, nobody has, neither the Russians nor the United States have an interest in being misled by that. Okay. And there, there is that possibility. Okay. Have you ever so, seen evidence of something like that? No, I haven't. But I can't rule it out. And, it's, and it, it almost doesn't matter to me that whether or not we've seen evidence of it now. It's a possibility. Both sides have to admit that it's a possibility. And it's a place to start dialogue. So those are two examples of places where a, uh, a joint group, a joint working group would be uh, you know, a, a useful thing to do. A joint useful group to say, to decide what to do about election hacking, absolutely the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Absolutely right. You know, I echo Paul in saying that. I echo Lindsey Graham in saying that. Absolutely right. Because the Russian interest in that is not aligned with the United that of the United States. Trump Homeland Security Advisor Tom Bosser has suggested that the Trump administration would prioritize bilateral engagement on cyber norms over multilateral settings like the United Nations. Uh, 
when we talk about seeking norms and, 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 and keeping Russia in mind and maybe the Chinese, is bilateral the way to go or, or do we need to be more inclusive? I think that the prospect of a multilateral agreement on cyber norms is zero or below zero. Given the diversity of opinion about uh, cyberspace and indeed about governance generally across the globe, you know, we were fortunate to come up with something like the Geneva Conventions at a time and place that was uh, unique in, uh, in, in, in the at least recent history. I think the prospects of having such an agreement that uh, all parties would agree to is sub-zero. Either that or, or they would be stated at such a high level of generality that it would be useless to, 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 to any practical effect. Bilateral agreements are much more plausible. Um, I think, however, that given the realities of these different approaches, the prospects for bilateral agreements are higher with people that we start from a generally same place. Other liberal, small L, Western, small W democracies, you know, which would include Japan, uh, and it might even elbow out to places like Singapore. There is a vague possibility of some very, very specific and narrow norms, like don't attack the domain name system that everybody might agree to. But even that, I think, would be something honored more in the breach than in reality. Herb? I'm trying to find something to disagree with in what Paul said. Uh, well, you don't have to. You can just say Paul's right. <laughs> um, he, did, he didn't state the case strongly enough. Getting agreement on 45 countries around the table is hard enough. Better to do it with two. And better to do it with two with somebody who's, if, if not allied with you, then, then at least sort of in your same general camp. I'll make an even snarkier comment, which I think even Paul would agree with. It would be also good to get agreement within the United States as to what we want. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, the United States wants contradictory things and doesn't know how to prioritize things. Okay? Is offense, should offense be prioritized over defense? Uh, I, you know, we don't have a consensus on that. In the open literature, we have a consensus on it. That sure doesn't reflect what's going on behind closed doors. And that consensus is? Well, everybody in the United States wants a free and open internet and secure internet. How would you come out and say, I want an insecure internet? But in fact, if you value offense, you want insecurity for everyone else. I mean, that's the job of the damn military, right? They want security for us and not security for the other guy. That's what a military is for. And they're continuing to pursue that goal. If we want to start speaking on one voice, which would be a good idea, we ought to come to some clear consensus on what that is. Now, I suspect that because what we want is contradictory, I'm no longer surprised that we want contradictory things, okay? Nations have many interests. We want a secure internet when it suits our interests, and we want an insecure internet when it suits our interests. That's just the reality of the world. But, you know, but before we get ta start telling other people what they should be, we should get our own act together. I think Paul would endorse that statement entirely. Yes. Not quite as snarky, but I would agree completely. <laughs> Look, NSA is the ultimate in wanting to have your cake, eat it, and not gain any weight. They want a whole bunch of vulnerabilities that they can exploit overseas, but they don't want any vulnerability. Their other job of information assurance is to eliminate vulnerabilities domestically. You just can't do that. Uh, not in a domain like cyberspace that is globalized. You might be able to figure out a way to do it in a kinetic domain, but you can't do it in cyberspace, period, full stop, end of story. You know, they're trying to manage tension, and they do a better or worse job of it. Everybody would agree, even NSA would say it's a bad thing to lose tools on the Internet. But other than that, I think there's no consensus on how you should prioritize things.
it's the sort of thing that you need high-level leadership on. You need somebody to say, this is what our, if, if you're going to go down that direction. And maybe they won't say that. Do we have a leader? Who would be that leader? Well, I, I'm not going to address that one, okay? I'm going to address a, di a somewhat different point. I'm going to say even Obama couldn't do it. But I thought Obama was extraordinarily thoughtful when he weighed the competing equities about whether offense or defense, about where to go on it, okay? And I think reluctantly in the end, at least in, in, in a couple of cases, like the encryption debate, he sort of said reluctantly, well, I hate the idea, but I, I, I got to go with the offense on that. I would say that President Obama was about as strong a leader in the cyber domain as you could ask for. He started, you know, very strong with a 100-day review, and he moved the ball. My own assessment is they kind of failed the final exam, which was the Russia I stuff. Agree. I agree with you. They had set up a whole bunch of really useful tools. One of his own advisors said they choked, and I think that's right. Today, in the current administration, the president is clearly not terribly engaged in this issue, which is fine. Our presidents have priorities, so that's not actually a critique so much as a statement of fact. And that will leave the development of further cyber policy to his subordinates, who will move the ball a little bit. The president's executive order was very developmental and not transformative. A lot of process, not a lot of action items yet. So we'll see. I would kind of second Herb's implicit view that at this moment in time, there really isn't a strong leadership for any transformative change in the cyber domain. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is a descriptive thing. Agreed. Agreed with that. If you are to engage the Russians, uh, former DHS Undersecretary for Cybersecurity Suzanne Spalding recently wrote in the Washington Post, and she pointed out that the Obama administration's approach in dealing with China, known for the theft of intellectual property, should be used to reach a cyber agreement with Russia. Obviously, and I know in your blog recently, Paul, you were sort of critical of the of Hillary Clinton's approach to China, although uh, perhaps this is a bit different. Are there lessons? Because we did get agreements from China to not hack private companies for their private information. I think that those are different things. What Secretary of State Clinton did back in 2011, 2012, was kind of assert a moral equivalency between hacking into China and China hacking into the U.S., and that I objected to back in 2012. Undersecretary Spalding is exactly right that the model for bringing China to the table is a good one to follow. That, that actually supports more my assessment of where we are with Russia now than it does Herb's. Because as she tells it, uh, I think accurately, the Chinese came to the table only when the Obama administration threatened even more significant sanctions. And in the face of a potential significant embarrassment by the Obama administration in the face of a pending visit by President Xi, you know, the equivalent here would be for, you know, the Trump administration, instead of saying, let's go and talk now, to be starting with, here are the sanctions that President Obama has put in place. Far from reversing them, which is what they seem to be talking about now, we're going to add on these additional monetary sanctions against Russian companies or Russian oligarchs or whatever it is that we think is an appropriate set of sanctions. And we are going to use this as a ground for publicly contesting your meme about what has happened. That might be enough to bring the Russians around to acknowledging some responsibility, agreeing to refrain. Uh, I mean, the, the entire U.S.-China dialogue now is based on a presidential level agreement in which China agreed to stop economic cyber theft. And the data is a little wonky, but everybody seems to agree that they've more or less abided by it. That's where we should be getting to. That should be our first ask. An agreement, you stop, then we'll talk about other things that you're interested in. 
no real disagreement there. I would add one other thing to it, too, which is that in the long run, China will have IP that we want. It is in China's interest to have a strong IP protection regime in the long run. In the short run, maybe not. But in the long run, I think there's no question that China is going to become an innovative, forward-moving, et cetera, et cetera, society with respect to intellectual property. I have a harder time imagining that to be true of the Russians. Yeah, uh, I and, think that's and, right. And what do we want from the Russians? It's only in their interest to steal from us. What, what, what would we possibly want to steal from them? So are we now in a stalemate with Russia when it comes to this? I, I guess for a variety of reasons, for what you just stated, what would we want? Plus, you know, who knows what our leadership wants anyway? Well, you mean on IP or in general? In general. So you were talking specifically about IP at that point? Right. I was just thinking, I was specifically talking about IP. That, that, that's right. Look, I still think there are things that we would be, that would, we could usefully talk to the Russians about. I articulated two of them already. To the extent that we're talking about things where our interests are diametrically opposed, I think that is a stalemate, and, and I double Paul's pessimism about that about the desirability of that. Just that I think it's always worthwhile trying to find things that you can talk about. It's a useful thing to be talking about, things where you have common interests. A lot of what Herb and I have been discussing and debating is really not unique to the cyber domain. We have this same discussion about whether to talk to the Russians or not talk to the Russians about other areas where they're, where we think they're bad actors. So there's a long history of it. And to be fair, in many instances, we've gone down the road that, that Herb is advocating more than mine. Often we feel as though talking is its own value. I just tend to think that that is generally the wrong answer. But that doesn't mean that I'm 100% right on this one. <laughs> just means uh, that's where I am. Any final thoughts? The amount of daylight between Paul and me is, I mean, is non-trivial but it's relatively small. We more or less agree on the issues that are most commonly talked about in the news today. Election hacking and, and, and you know, doing bad things to each other and, and, and so on. And I don't think that there's any hope of getting the Russians, you know, of, of productive uh, discussions with the Russians there. But I think it's worthwhile finding places to talk uh, about common interests, uh, about where there are common interests, even if nothing else, to find out what those common interests are. That, to me, is a useful and valuable part of statecraft it doesn't mean that we're rewarding them. And because I think that we should be, that you have to look at rewards and, and, and punishments in an overall context, not a one-on-one. To punish them by breaking diplomatic relations with them too. I'm not an advocate of that. You know, we shouldn't be trying to punish them in every possible way. You know, it's a question of judgment as to whether, you know, what those right ways are. I would say in the big scheme of things, a small disagreement on, on, on whether or not talking to them at all on cyber matters is, is, is the right thing to do. I think that's right. And and perhaps my current state is colored by precisely where we are with the current political environment in the United States. If I were 100% confident that American negotiators would go in and only talk about the things that Herb wants to talk about, I would have a lot less objection. I just have no real confidence in that, I'm afraid. Well, on that, sure. And, uh, and, and <laughs> when we have a president that doesn't know how to stay on script either, the, you know, and you take your direction from the top, your role models are at the top. I mean, I'm not quite sure what to, how, how to say about that. I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I prefer not to talk about that too much more. That's right. That's right. That's Herbert Lynn and Paul Rosenzweig. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro.